you've seen the sci-fi movies, AI is going to kill us in the right. Let's see what we're talking about here today. This is it. AI is going to kill us. Episode 76. By the way, welcome to this channel. And uh, I hope you found it. We've been getting a little, just a little bit of the, a uh, little bit of the taste of censorship here of late. It has not died down as much as I thought it would have by now because logic, common sense, and um, making the data do what it can for us. It turns out to be unpopular still in some quarters, mostly with uh, the big uh, social media giants like this one here. So AI, yeah, I'm not talking about Skynet down there. Uh, I'm not talking about the robot thing here. What AI am I talking about? I'm talking about this. The A is for arrogance. Arrogance, what is it? It's an attitude of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner or in presumptuous claims or assumptions. Arrogance, what's the I? Ignorance. The state or fact of being ignorant, a lack of knowledge, of education, or awareness. Now, ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance simply means you don't know something. But if you don't know something and then you cling to not knowing that same thing, that's where ignorance transcends into stupidity. Because we should all be striving to learn and to keep learning and to amend what we know. Remember, if the facts change, I'll change my point of view as well. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what science is supposed to be. That's not what we've been subjected to for years now. And I'm not sure that we haven't just seen how things actually are now rather than something new having arisen out of the soil of the earth and coming into being like a mushroom that nobody's seen before. I think we're just seeing how things really are. But let's go there. Uh, speaking of which, putting the A in, uh, in this new AI, it's got to be this guy, Justin Trudeau, out of Canada. Let's listen in on what he has to say here. We will create a $1 billion COVID-19 proof of vaccination. This is back a while ago. Your premier, wherever you are across the country, mm -hmm. your premier mandates that everyone in your local restaurant or gym or other non-essential locations must be fully vaccinated and show proof. We'll pay for the development and rollout of Sir? that program. A vaccine mandate for non-essential businesses is a good idea. It keeps people safe. It encourages everyone to do the right thing. It keeps our businesses open and it keeps our economy rebuilding. In fact, a top bank ex economist has warned that provinces that don't bring in these vaccine mandates will have slower job creation and a weaker recovery than those that do. That didn't turn out to be true. Jobs for businesses or for anyone. This is about doing the right thing and the smart thing. Already, Premier Horgan and Premier Legault have stepped up. And I certainly hope that here in Ontario, Premier Ford steps up as well. It's time for him to listen to public health officials and leaders like Bonnie Crombie. And we'll be ready when he does. Because keeping you safe that's my top priority. And oh. not just through this fall, but over the long term, too. Hmm. See how certain he was about all of that? This is before there was any real official information about what these things were going to do or not going to do. Certainly displaying a lot of arrogance around this whole thing. Justin Trudeau, of course, is like the poster child for arrogance. 
but also for ignorance. He is literally the poster child for everything that I think around AI, this arrogant, ignorant combination that is going to sink us, certainly sinking Canada, not doing a great thing for the people there. And if he cared about the health of the people there, boy, scorecard looks terrible right now for Canada and how they are performing. So one of the most important things that a leader can do who doesn't want to display a lot of AI is to bring the country together to find that's a politician who's a real statesman or statesperson would be somebody who can bring together the people. Let's hear how Justin Trudeau went about bringing people together in one of the more critical moments of his premiership. Canadians made incredible sacrifices over the past year and a half. Canadians. And Aaron O'Toole is siding with them instead of with opposition who did their part and stepped up he's talking about personal choice what about my choice to keep my kids safe what about our choices to make sure we're getting through this pandemic as quickly as we can quickly that's the choice we've all made canadians have shown it in being there for each other canadians I am not gonna back down no matter how many of them show up to try and shout us down from what I know to be true, what For science them. tells us, what Canadians have told me, which Canadians? is people are willing to do their part to get through this pandemic, and that's what we will do together. We will do, except for them. Science and Canadians are on this side, but them and they are on that side. This is a, one of the most divisive speeches ever, but look at his certainty. You can only be that certain if you're actually ignorant. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, like, we will get through this all faster together if we just do exactly what I say. Otherwise, you're part of them. Uh, that's the kind of exemplar for arrogance and ignorance that I think is going to do us all in. Because what we need more than anything at this juncture of history is to pull together and to find ways to work together through the many predicaments that we face. Not problems. We've got a lot of those, too. Problems have solutions. But predicaments, hey, these only have outcomes. Tell you what. The lack of fertilizer production is turning into a huge predicament for next year and, and uh, for food production even this year. More on that in just a little while. So um, Justin Trudeau, I'm giving him a big fat AI plus. He's, he's, he scores high on both, both areas here. Uh, you know, but remember, he, was, he also puts really, I think, put the A in arrogant. Uh, Justin Trudeau here. Remember, remember that time? Remember that time when he called Canadians who protested him? As, the, as being racist or misogynistic or, or anti-vaxxer mobs um, and, and uh, misogynist, racist. I mean, anyway, this is, this is how he thinks, right? And so this is a very, this is an AI attitude, right? And this is part of the WEF crowd. They really have a lot of this AI mentality and it, it's very abrasive, obviously. And anybody who's free thinking, who has, can think critically, who can understand that maybe there's shades of gray in these stories, the certainty that they come out with around things that they turn out to be dead wrong about. And then they never backtrack and they never soul search and they never reflect and they never go back and correct the record. And they never, ever apologize for being dead wrong in ways that killed people dead. That's how wrong they were. All right. So carrying on here. Um, he really does put the eye in ignorant. I think I forgot to tee up this video, but he is here just, again, spouting some things that um, really were not scientific. You'll have to trust me on that. Maybe I can play that later. Now, 
Here's what we have to contend with in the United States. Our oil inventories are down. Now, this is includes everything. This is our big three. This is the crude inventories plus gasoline plus distillate. We don't have a lot of gasoline. We don't have a lot of diesel. That's what they mean by distillate. We don't have a lot of crude in storage. So you'd think, wow, that's that's kind of an emergency. And it is. It absolutely is, especially since we got this news back in July where Saudi Arabia said, hey, you know what? Our Our personal oil output in Saudi Arabia is near its ceiling a.k.a. peak oil, meaning they can't produce more. They have a production capacity ceiling, so they're not the swing producer in this story anymore. Okay, I mean, this is a really big deal. Javier Blas did a great job. He, he, he put this out there. I, I, um, we've been talking about this over at Peak Prosperity amongst my members for quite a while now because this is really big news. This is, this is really big news. And uh, Joseph Biden goes over there, and he's asking for more oil. Some say begging for more oil. At any rate... Mohammed bin Salman responded with a bombshell saying that Saudi oil production is going to peak not too far in the future. It's a lot lower than many had anticipated, and it's lower than the Saudis have ever even intimated, let alone admitted. And with the world still hungry for fossil fuels, it spells long-term trouble for the global economy. Okay. Hey, that's a predicament. That would be an example of a predicament. Wow. Saudi Arabia is like the number one or number two exporter and that's what matters is exported oil that's what we care about most now when you're number one or number two depending on on which year we're talking about exporter of oil says hey we're kind of at a peak that's a predicament not really a problem more a predicament we're going to have to figure out very rapidly how we get around that so what what are we going to do about that well um down in purple down there, it bears repeating Saudi Arabia, the holder of the world's largest oil reserves and the cheapest of those oil reserves, is telling the world that in the not-so-distant future, it will not have any additional capacity to increase production. Let that sink in. This is a bombshell. Boom. All right. So, uh, as if we needed more confirmation of that, here was this crazy moment where outside of a meeting with cameras rolling... Pretending he's whispering, Macron, who's heading there right behind Joe Biden, has this to say before this report even came out uh, that we just saw from Javier Blas. Let's listen in. It's kind of hard to hear, but but we'll we'll get through it together. Maximum. This is my commitment. Second, told me, according to us. The Saudis can increase a little bit, but 150 or a little bit more, and they, they don't have huge capacities at this stage, before six months' time. For six months time. So this is Macron of France telling the world, because he obviously doesn't just accidentally say something with cameras zooming in that tight. He said the Saudis are at their production maximum, maybe just a little bit more, 150,000 barrels per day, he said. But maybe just a little bit more, but no more than that. Right. So that was clearly meant not he wasn't just conveying that to Joe Biden and the rest of the people around there. He's conveying that to the world, doing what he can to say, hey, there's a thing coming. This is really big, giant news. Now, this is all happening in the context of what's going on in Europe with Russia, et cetera. By the way, when I said number one or number two exporter, who's also flip flopping around that number one, number two slot there? That would be Russia. Right. So right now we know that the number one, number two exporting nations in the world for oil having a little difficulty maybe getting more out the gate for various reasons, but it's really a big deal. So given all of that, and given this, this is a, a set of comments that 
we're hidden down deep in the Dallas Federal Reserve. There's 12 regional feds. Dallas Fed is one of the regions. And because it's Dallas, they go out and they poll the energy companies. And so often they have some really illuminating questions and comments that come in and they print those up. Here's special questions and comments that came out. Uh, this was in the 2022 second quarter comments from the Federal Reserve and an oil and exploration production oil firm wrote in pink down there. This is a comment from an oil insider, an executive, quote, the real energy crisis isn't even here yet. The United States Energy Information Information Administration forecasts the U.S. oil production to average 12.5 million barrels a day for the next 30 years. This is all but impossible. Shale will likely tip into terminal decline in about five years as the main shale plays run out of locations. Unfortunately, by then, most of the individuals with incumbent knowledge about offshore and international development will have retired. The brain drain in the industry will create a real and much larger crisis in the mid to late 2020s. End quote. Big deal, right? This is a huge deal. If you don't know about this, you need to study more about this. My crash course over at Peak Prosperity goes into energy, energy economics. We're going to be covering a lot more of this as this year unfolds because this is the biggest thing ever. If you thought COVID was big in terms of its impact on your life, your family, your future prospects, your hopes, your dreams, your income, where do you see what worldwide recognition of limits, production capacities, peak oil? when it comes to energy, the master resource oil. So this is the reality right here. The US Energy Information Administration, the EIA, is busy telling ourselves fantasy fictions. They're as useful as the CDC and telling us what we need to know about medical stuff, just narratives and junk and politicized sort of output. At any rate, this is the reality. So given that, given that Joe Biden has gone over to Saudi Arabia and said, hey, can you pump some more? And they are like, well, maybe not. We're kind of near a production peak anyway. So do with that what you will. What would be the rational response in a situation like that? Not this. This is pure ignorance right here. The Wall Street Journal summed it up. Federal oil leases slow to a trickle, not just a trickle, but they almost halted completely under Biden, comparing them to Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, second Bush, Obama, Trump, and then there's Biden down there. It's just 0.13 million acres leased out so far. And, uh, and this is comparing the first 19 months of administration. So we're not leasing. So if you can't lease, you can't explore. If you can't explore, you can't find. If you can't find, you can't produce. This is going to have a really huge impact on future oil production within the United States. So this is a form of ignorance that's profound. This maybe is coming from the ESG side. Maybe it's coming from something more hostile than that, where there's people out there within this administration who are actively seeking to take the country down. Well, if you want to, the surest thing you can do is to knock the energy side of the story, which of course Europe very handily has done to itself. Now, as a quick aside, I would like to remind you that from time to time, that thing over there, that word right there, that happens to me here on this channel if you're watching this on YouTube. Otherwise, you might be watching it on one of the other channels. I'll tell you where in a second. Uh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss any of my content or you want to go deeper and you want to hear more about these topics, come on by, join, become a member. We've got uh, three levels of membership there. Find the one that works best for you. If for whatever reason you feel like you haven't been hearing from me, I'm still producing content here are all the places that you can follow me. First at my website, peakprosperity.com. Here's a direct link to the membership. 
on Twitter. I am at Chris Martinson. Over there on Sovereign, I am increasingly going to be putting my stuff there. I'm also found on Odyssey, Rumble, and of course here, what helps here on YouTube, if this is where you're watching it, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button if you care to. And by the way, to close out this whole part, here's reactions to the last episode that we produced for our subscribers over at Peak Prosperity. I'll let you read it down there, but people are obviously very happy with the kind of reporting that they're getting and the value that they feel they get from not just getting information, but getting to it before anybody else gets to it. Gives you time for the all-important adjustment reaction and also to make changes in your life if necessary in terms of, I don't know, buying things, uh, getting in and out of stock market, things like that. That's the service we provide. Early warning, I am the information scout. Speaking of which, boy, I warned way back in um, in ugh, early 20, so early this year, I was warning about the energy situation in, in Europe that was going to be very bad. And um, because, by the way, this energy situation was getting bad in Europe even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February of 21. We were already seeing very steep rises in the price of natural gas and other input energy feedstocks in Europe starting I don't know, five, six months prior to that. So this was already game game afoot. And here, Robert Habeck of Germany, he they have three nuclear power plants. They're going to shut one down because because uh, the Green Party has power there. And they want the other two nuclear power plants in Germany as an emergency reserve. So not only are these plants not going to be producing, but they're going to be on standby. When a power plant, a nuclear plant is on hot standby. It is not only not producing electricity, it's consuming power because it needs power to help cool itself down because those rods are constantly hot, right? Remember, that's what happened in Fukushima. They couldn't cool the building. They couldn't cool the, the pools down and then they melted down. So you, these things are actually going to be net negative when nuclear is probably the most important net positive you could have for the European grid and grid stability. So Germany is not extending the life of those plants and it's only gonna keep them around under current plans as an emergency up through spring of 2023, but then that's it. This is obviously, I think, one of the more ignorant things that could possibly be done, but Habeck doesn't stop there. He was on a uh, question and answer on a show recently in Germany. He was asked, um, you know, do you expect a wave of bankruptcies at the end of this winter? Because, you know, uh, power costs through the roof for these poor German manufacturers and businesses and households. And he said, no, no, no. I, I can imagine certain industries will simply stop producing for a while. And then they're not automatically going to go bankrupt, but they might stop selling. Um, and, you know, if I stop selling, then I don't earn any more money. No reason to go bankrupt, he said. <laughs> it's like, wow, have you ever been in business before? Obviously not. So his idea is, uh, echoed the, the, the incredulousness of his ideas echoed when the reviewer, uh, sorry, the questioner immediately, she asked, yeah, but, but how are you not going to make a bigger minus if you pay people, but you don't sell anything anymore? She's struggling to like, how do I even ask? This is like asking a question of a five-year-old, you know, when, when you think you, you might have to tune it down because uh, you have to, you don't want to lose them. You don't want to confuse them too badly. Literally, Habeck said, we're going to, our companies are just going to stop selling stuff, but that's not necessarily any reason for them to go bankrupt or insolvent, right? Crazy ideas. This is the level of ignorance. This is putting the eye in AI for Germany in a big, big way. And by the way, uh, 
Obviously, we can debunk that I very, very quickly. Wall Street Journal recently reporting, and by the way, lots of reports about this all through the, the cycle here, about European manufacturers reeling from the Russian gas shutoff here. ArcelorMittal, one of the world's largest steel makers, is closing a blast furnace in Bremen and a so-called direct reduction plant in Hamburg that produces sponge iron, so shutting those down. And um, in Germany, ArcelorMittal had already reduced gas demand by about 40% compared with what it planned to consume at the start of the year. And even toilet paper makers are feeling the crunch. Hockel GmbH, a German toilet paper maker and hygiene product maker this month, declared itself insolvent. Oh, so I guess if you don't sell stuff, it does lead to insolvency. Who knew? Everybody except this guy. Uh, and listen, he might not be this ignorant, but he certainly was uh, playing at being this ignorant in public. Who knows what they're saying in private? But that's part of the arrogance, right? He's, he's saying something that you know probably he's not that dumb. But he's going to pretend he's that ignorant because he has the arrogance of thinking, I can't be honest with you. The German people or the people of the world can't be honest with you. And this is very much a WEF modern politician sort of a, I guess politicians have always been this way, but it feels really more in our face, a little more obvious than usual now. And so we're seeing a lot of that uh, going on. Now, speaking of predicaments, said I'd get to it. Oh, and no NH3, that's ammonia, no fertilizer, ammonia fertilizer this fall or probably next year. According to the CRU group, uh, which does a lot of fertilizer analysis, European fertilizer producers in the region are currently losing $2,000 for every ton of ammonia produced. So according to Habeck, they either continue to sell that and don't go insolvent or they stop selling it and don't go insolvent. Actually, they're just going to stop selling it because you, 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 it's only so long you can produce things at a loss before you're out of business, right? Uh, much of the fertilizer production in Europe requires natural gas. It's being shut down due to high prices. Now, this is very easy to make a prediction about. Remember I said you get to be early to things. No fertilizer being made today means none being put on the fields this fall or next spring. If they don't have the fertilizer in Europe because they didn't produce it, they're going to have to import it from somewhere else. All you have to do is find out that you can't afford to produce it for one or two seasons, and you are going to be a permanent importer because you will be importing it from lower-cost regions of the world. Maybe they'll make ammonia plants in the Middle East. You'll be buying it from the United States, where gas costs, natural gas costs are a fraction of what they are in Europe. This is going to eviscerate the European fertilizer manufacturer business. So A, there's going to be shortages. B, even if you could get it there, the farmers might not be able to afford it, so they'll put less on. You'll have lower yields. But more importantly, from a long-term standpoint, this is going to destroy those businesses. They will go insolvent. They will simply stop producing. In fact, all of Germany, it's, it pretty much can owe all of its prosperity, standards of living, its high standards of living, due to the fact that it is a wickedly good, productive economic powerhouse. They make stuff. They take $20 billion worth of natural gas from Russia principally, and they turn it into $2 trillion worth of awesome things like BMWs and high-end pumps and all kinds of crazy good stuff. Great German engineering, right? So what's going to happen, though, is Germany is now going to be uncompetitive. And because of that, its manufacturing is going to get hollowed out. And there is no amount of government handouts and printing and, you know, whatever they're going to have to do from a, from a emergency make works 
patch it up kind of a way that's going to correct the idea that Germans, Germany's industries are being hollowed out and destroyed. All right, so that's pretty ignorant. Nobody should do that to themselves willy-nilly. Of course, that's a pretty bad thing. Yeah, let's let's go here real quick because uh, I put this in the wrong spot. I want it here. So here's the, uh, the Germany's foreign minister. Let's listen in. I find but this pretty shocking. I give the promise to people in Ukraine, we stand with you as long as you need us. Then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. Ryan, and can this you back that up? Every measure what did she I'm say? Taking. But if I give the promise to people no matter in Ukraine, what? we stand like, with no matter you what as Germans long think? as you need us. Then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people. That is what she said. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now a winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians. People will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say, yes, I know, so we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, okay, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine, and this means the sanction will stay also in wintertime, even if it gets really tough for po politicians. <laughs> even if it gets really tough for politicians. Listen, I know you might be out in the streets demonstrating about the fact that you're you know, freezing to death. I'm willing to do that even if it gets tough for politicians. Uh, the, the, again, the arrogance that's just dripping off of this lady is, is really astonishing. Um, the sanctions will stay all through the wintertime, even if it gets really tough for politicians. You know what? I'm kind of getting this vibe, which in translation, yes, many of my fellow Germans will suffer, but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. I've heard that before. I think that's Lord Farquhar down there in uh, Shrek. Some of you may die. But that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. Getting that vibe, it's really that bad. I mean, this is super, super arrogant. We don't care what you want, German citizens. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're cold. Doesn't matter if your industries are hollowed out. Doesn't matter if your jobs go away. We have to make some sacrifices. And I'm willing to, even as a politician, even if it gets tough for us politicians, I'm willing to make those sacrifices. That's what this lady actually said. And it wasn't like a hot mic moment where she got caught saying something half drunk that she only thinks privately, this is out in public. Um, and so again, when I say we're gonna, AI is gonna kill us, this arrogance and ignorance is being worn proudly out in public by those who have donned the shawl of the AI mantle. It's just, just astonishing. All right, uh, so after the fertilizer situation though, I think we have to talk about how the WEF, the World Economic Forum, the Davos crowd, uh, their AI, they, they've, they've got farmers under attack. Of course, we've been talking about this for a while now. The Dutch farmers, they were in an uproar over plans to curb animal numbers to cut nitrogen emissions. And of course, they were going to have to cut fertilizer use as well. And so that's a big deal. So that was uh, in, well, why do I say that's a WEF thing? Because we know the WEF has been talking about this for a long time. Remember them, the you'll own nothing and be happy crowd them the you'll eat much less meat and more crickets crowd uh you might consider it an occasional treat but it's not a staple not for you any longer and uh it's for the good of the environment and for our health 
Now, you know, not that's not that's that's the hour that includes you, but not the hour that includes all the WF people who will continue to have prime rib and filet mignon at their Davos get-togethers, guaranteed. But of course, the arrogance of this is around WF founder Klaus Schwab. He's calling for this great narrative. I mean, they want to reshape everything. This is the great reset. They want to redo everything from cultural traditions or getting doing away with them to how international trade is conducted, uh, whether we're going to have central bank digital currencies, how tracked you're going to be, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how often you're going to consume, whether you're going to have a positive or negative interest rate. They want it all to be under their control. And of course, they, you, the, when you do something like this, you can't just come out and say that, although they did. You have to start somewhere. So they started here by saying, you know what? What if we could convince people that it's the Dutch farmers, that they're the place we have to start? Because, well, for the good of our health and the environment, right? And it spread pretty rapidly. So Irish farmers saying they're going to be forced to cull cows, have to kill their cows to meet climate targets. Ireland? Irish? I, really? Irish farmers? That's where this problem is starting? We're not... We're not going to look at this. This is just a flight tracker for, for flights in the air at any one minute. I just grabbed this, this snapshot right before this presentation. Imagine, though, being convinced that cows are the problem, but you ignore this, right? It's crazy. Um, and, you know, to start with farmers, too, it's kind of weird because it's very easy to find these headlines. They're everywhere related to some of the climate uh, or weather the weather instabilities we've been having droughts here floods there it's been very bad for harvest plus the lack of fertilizer on the fields that's been bad for yields yeah, it's pretty pretty strong and then it's very easy of course to find these headlines right we are in a global food crisis that will wreak havoc on local economies and trigger civil unrest global food crisis sees 150 million more women than men going hungry and it's going to get worse so somehow this is also sexist un says the global food crisis is about affordability not availability Oops. And Burkina Faso, almost 2 million people displaced amid worst food crisis in a decade. So we're seeing headlines. This is just a sampling. These headlines are everywhere now. So you read headlines like this, and the first thing you think, same as me, if we were WF types, we'd be thinking, you know what? We ought to pinch on those Dutch farmers. You know what? Maybe we should pinch on the Irish farmers too. Just, you know, whatever. That's where the problem lies. Um, so we're going to be talking about this and I go into much more detail and speak a little more freely, uh, back at uh, my website. This is what part two of this is going to look like. We have to talk about enemy action and I believe what we're going to see is the coming collapse of society and probably the economy. So we'll be talking about that in part two. If you want to join, come on by peak prosperity and check us out there. It's going to be a good conversation. This is going to be a good one. All right. Mark Rutte of Holland. He's a WF plant. He, he obviously, you know, he's all over the WF website, goes there all the time, one of their young leaders, and he's very out of tune with his own people. He's got a bigger ideology, a bigger set of ideas, but he said he can't take away farmers' concerns. Like, he's like, yeah, you, you guys, you gals, you farmers here in, in Holland, you're, I know you're concerned, but can't do anything about it. You see, we have these climate goals that are more important than anything you might be talking about. So the farmers started blocking roads and spraying manure over buildings and you know doing things farmers can do. And uh, so Mark Rutte immediately just dips into projection, which is the mental process by which people attribute to others what's in their own minds. He slams the life-threatening farmer protests, ignoring for the fact that 
Maybe starving people is also life-threatening. You missed out on that part. Quote, Dutch Minister Mark, Prime Minister Mark Rutte uh, urged farmers on Thursday to end their life-threatening protests against government environmental plans after several roads were blocked by fires and manure. Oh, no. Uh, quote down there, the protests by a small group of farmers on highways yesterday and this morning are unacceptable. He said, willfully endangering others, damaging our infrastructure and threatening people who help clean up is beyond all limits, he said on Twitter. Um, well, I also think starving people fits all of those same things. So this is the classic case of the WF crowd and all those who are supporters of them. They do this projection thing. Right. Usually what they're accusing their opponents of is actually their own prime trait. Right. Remember, there was all that. Oh, my God, we're really worried about Nazis in the U.S. And it turned out, well, they were more like Nazis than anybody they were even worrying about. Right. In the sense of wanting to deny people the right to earn a living, to want to have people canceled, to have people in prison, to on and on and on, because they shared a different set of ideas or dared to contradict even what they were saying it was our way or the highway, right? So Mark Rutte is, is part of that whole thing and engaging in classic projection. So, but let's just put it in context. Um, these are global CO2 emissions, which is just one part of the overall greenhouse gas emission sector. But some claim that, you know, the cows fit into that little green band down in there. And like, what a weird place to start. Um, because the increase in the blue on the bottom, which is uh, from energy production, which is mostly fossil fuels, the increase from 2000 is two times larger than all of agriculture, including cows, pigs, horses, chickens, sheep, and planting things and all of that other stuff. So what a weird place. Imagine thinking, looking at this chart and going, you know, let's start with cows. Let's start with cows. And um, let's, not, let's not start there or there. Or, or there, or there. <laughs> we'll not go, none of that stuff. Nah, cows. Imagine thinking cows are the problem, not this stuff. And by the way, those things I put down there, you know, those ships, there's a lot of cruise ships and, and container ships just doing stuff that, honestly, I think we could save a little there without, without too much trouble. But yeah, let's start with cows. Look, I mean, I stare at this chart and look at this uh, country level emissions. If emissions are your thing, I look at this and I'm like thinking, not the cows. I have another name that's sort of jumping off of this chart. It's, it's right there. It's right there. Uh, I guess we can't talk about that because when I look at this chart, pretty obvious where we would start on this conversation. And it wouldn't be with the cows. But you know where it gets really awkward? Uh, when we look at this, see that chart over time of all those different, see that shape of that chart? Hmm. That looks really familiar to me. Where have I seen that shape of that chart before? Oh yeah, this is where I've seen this chart before. Directly below me. Energy consumption, which if you look at it from 1970, when we were at 83% fossil fuels to today, when we're only 81% fossil fuels, you can clearly see that what's going on here, there's a very strong correlation. If you want to understand where, you know, if you were, if you were concerned about emissions, you would start with direct primary energy consumption, full stop. That's where you'd start this conversation, but we're not having that conversation. Nobody's having this conversation about maybe we don't need private jet service for every 
want to be millionaire and billionaire out there. Maybe we don't need yachts that big for private individuals. Maybe, maybe the egalitarian way to deal with this is not to make small farmers have to pay the bill first, but to give everybody an energy budget and say, live within your budget. And if you want to fly a private plane, you got to go out and buy some more budget from somebody else. Maybe that's the way we do it. I don't know. But at any rate, insane to me from a common sense standpoint that you would even begin the conversation with cows when this is the story that you should be talking about if this is your actual aim. But of course, this may not be their actual aim. It may not be about climate change. It may not actually be about cows, but it's about another C, control. This is all about the control that they want to exert in this story. And so no surprise, we saw the EU seeking sweeping powers over businesses for use in crisis. So Brussels in the EU, which is you know their, their central, unelected, really weird, undemocratic um, politburo of, of modern day. At any rate, Brussels is proposing wide ranging powers to require businesses to stockpile supplies and break delivery contracts in order to shore up supply chains in the event of a crisis such as coronavirus pandemic. What? You want, you want politicians, some of whom have never worked in the business before to be setting stockpile limits and inventory limits and to uh, who's deciding which delivery contracts get broken what a mess. Oh my goodness. If you like your standard of living, if you like living in an economy where things roughly smoothly function, that's because it's individuals making individual choices and operating in their own micro self-interest that allows the whole thing to run. As soon as you try and top down this, it breaks. That's clearly the lesson of history. And no, it's not going to be better this time because our smartphones are smarter. Uh-uh, not how this works. At any rate, uh, draft legislation the Financial Times found here on September 5th uh, says that um, the European Commission would give itself a considerable leeway, considerable leeway to declare an emergency. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, there's people protesting in the street again about their energy bills. Emergency, right? You can just feel it coming, right? It's uh, pretty obvious how this is going to go. Businesses, for their part, are unhappy after being briefed on the plan, which is intended to protect the single market from supply shocks. That's the intention. Road to hell is paved with those things. Uh, it's not going to work out like they think. Uh, quote, we would be very concerned if this proposal was adopted in such an interventionist shape, says Martinas Berrios, director of the Internal Market Business Europe, which represents the employers in the block. It could oblige member states to override contract law, force companies to disclose commercially sensitive information and share their stockpiled products or dictate their production under any type of crisis the commission decides upon, end quote, AKA Soviet style planning. This is central planning. This is central planning. It doesn't work. And so before the EC goes out and grants itself considerable leeway, to do this kind of a thing, there needs to be a full-throated conversation, but you can feel the inevitability of this. This is the WEF plan. This is the Great Reset. Once they have this power, try and act surprised when it turns out they accidentally use this power to break things rather than build things. Because, of course, you have to break them before you can build them back better. All right. So that's the story. And, of course, I think Macron has been our truth teller, weird as it is to say, because I'm not a huge fan of the guy. But here's what he said very recently, and I think he was telling us the truth 
is pretty blunt. What we are living through is a time of great upheaval. Firstly, because we are witnessing, and not just since this summer, but over the past few years, the end of what we might have seen as abundance. And for those who enjoyed it, it is also the end of a carefree time. Our freedom, the liberty to which we have grown accustomed to in our lives has a price, and sometimes when we have to defend it, we have to make certain sacrifices as we fight to defend it. The end of abundance, and for those who may have enjoyed it, the end of a carefree time. Just that. So, oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, but he's right. Uh, it is the end of the age of abundance, and of course, it could be a very rocky, very sudden, very dramatic end. If it turns out the monkeys in power go out and try and monkey around with entire global integrated, complicated, complex, just-in-time delivery systems, where if you break a single strand in that web, sometimes the whole thing falls down at that point in time. The idea that we are going to have bureaucrats and technocrats micromanaging a, a continent-wide or even larger you know, global-wide economies is ridiculous, but they're going to try anyway. They're going to break it. It's not going to work out. They're going to try, and the reason it's not going to work is because our economy is a complex system. Complex systems cannot be managed. They can only be uh, influenced, and then you have to watch and see what emerges. I have great faith in individuals making their own decisions based on prices that accurately reflect reality, based on information that is as true and as complete as we know we can make it, based on data that is accurate as best as we can understand it at that point in time. Not perfect, but it's the best system we've got. And we have people who are very interventionist and they're going to try and remake a better system. And of course, those who would seek to create heaven on earth always seem to create hell, right? To misquote, um, uh, Karl Popper on that one. At any rate, that's the story I have for you today. Again, if you want to see part two of this, we're going to dive into this a little bit more deeply because I actually think this is not just arrogance and ignorance. It's actually enemy action. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Look forward to talking with you again in the future and seeing you down in the comments. And also, if you're watching this premiere on the chat, remember, hit like, hit subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Bye.